Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Fun? Follow us on Instagram at WTIC1080. A little fun? No. I want to have a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. Victor and Canton. Hello, Victor. Yeah, good afternoon. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a massive Republican victories across the country. I just don't see them happening here in Connecticut at all, period. I just, I'm not happy at all with the candidates. I mean, they're so boring. They're not even there. You don't see them in the press, even. Well, that's, uh, that's got something to do with the press. Well, fine. I don't see them on, any inter- on the Internet, even. Mm, you have to look for them on the Internet. but they're there. I look for them on the Internet every morning. They're not, they're yeah. not there. Um, I you know, to, I talk, it, well, let me ask you something. Yeah. I talk to my coworkers mm-hmm. constantly, and they're anti- Blumenthal and uh, Lamont, and they're frustrated with the selection they have, as you know, because they want to get rid of these people. Well, if you want to get rid of, there are three people running for the Senate nomination to challenge well, let Dick her, Blumenthal. Let her, it's a she, right? Let her be proactive. There's, there's no, it's there's not an it. There's two let, women let, and one guy. Three people are let, running for well, the let, Republican let the nomination. Nominee, let the nominee of the party is, be proactive and say, "I'm going to be the winner," and, and be very proactive and they, positive. They will, but they there isn't a nominee. Ah, oh, come on! Ain't gonna, I'll, I'll tell you, and I'm sorry, I'll let you go. But I'll tell you, in November, after the election, I'll be calling you and saying, I told you so. And what will that accomplish? Why are you proud of that? Why is this? Because why is it you, you being you right are, about how negative you can be more important to you than being positive? When you are negative, you contribute to bad outcomes. So if you actually care about making something good happen, if you really want Republicans to win, go do something to help Republicans win. But coming on the radio and talking about, well, the country's going to do fine, but it can't happen here. And I'll, I'll call you up and say, all you're doing is making it harder. It's ridiculous. Positive attitudes beget positive outcomes. Negative attitudes ensure negative outcomes. That's how life works. You haven't learned that yet? And so virtue signaling how smart you are by the fact that you can lay around and be negative doesn't do anything for anybody except for the Democrats. It's the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080.
Oh, I got very confused here in silence there, Anthony. Did you hit the wrong button? Music went away? Just There's too a pause short. in the song. Oh. Hello there, Margaret. Hey, Todd, how are you? Rocking and rolling. Wrong, wrong thing to say. Hey, listen, I just want to be very clear to you uh, and to um, whatever his name is, Harrington Gene. I don't judge Leibowitz because he's a prisoner. For a long time, I didn't even know he was a prisoner. But if he calls up, he offers his opinion, and I think it's something stupid, I'm going to call him on it. He shouldn't be given quarter just because he is a prisoner. Well, no doubt. So I just want to, Todd, I wanted to clear that up. Well, I'm glad you did. If you're listening, Leibowitz, it's nothing personal because you're a prisoner. You put this yourself out there so you're fair game. That's the fun of entertainment radio, don't you think, Todd? Yeah, so what you're saying, to finish your thought to Lebo, you, you welcome him entering the fray, and he's got to take his licks like anybody else. Exactly. It could, very, very well said. It has nothing to do with him being a prisoner. All right. Thank okay, you, Margaret. God, thanks. Appreciate the clarification. Now, with more clarification, we go to Greenwich, where State Representative Kim Fiorello represents the people better than most people in the state are represented with regard to anything. Hello, Kimberly. Hi there, Todd. How is everyone? I just wanted to pump you up right there at the beginning. Inflate your <laughs> well, ego a little you. bit so you can soar. Oh, well, that's so kind. Um, I could share a little bit about, I had a meeting this morning um, to speak with realtors in Stanford, mm -hmm. and uh, it's the first time that this group has met in uh, several years, but they asked to have a legislative update. Um, there were myself, um, four of us came legislators that represent Stanford, um, and it was a really great discussion. So I'm happy to share that. Or oh, I would also love to give you guys an update on how the book talk went. Yeah, last do night. both. First, recap what the who the guest was last night. You, Kimberly runs these events. Usually, usually they're Zoom events, so people can sign in and join a conversation, which is kind of a nice thing, I would think, to be able to do after dinner without having to get in the car and go out because people don't want to go out after they've gotten home from a day's work and then had dinner and even if you are well intended you end up sitting home and watching tv so you get people on to zoom for these great guests and who was the guy last night so last night his name is ian rowe he's on um, you know a thinker a writer a school entrepreneur um most presently he's starting a bunch of um character-based international baccalaureate charter schools in uh, manhattan lower east manhattan and what does that mean baccalaureate charter schools uh, International Baccalaureate, IB, it's a, it's a kind of school, it's a different kind of curriculum. Um, parents will look into all the different ways that they want their kids to be educated, and there are some parents that will choose the IB program. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, what you get at the public schools, although we do have some IB magnet schools in our Oh, so state. you're not saying in vitro, you're saying IB, something else, oh, IB? yes. International Baccalaureate? That's right. Okay. So, um, you know, he has experience on the ground uh, opening schools and serving children. And uh, he's been thinking a lot about the whole equity push. Uh, I mean, it's everywhere, as we know. And he has some really strong feelings that 
this uh, we're surrounding our kids with this idea that you know, equity of outcome is what's most important. He just he doesn't agree. And so his, the whole he wrote a new book, and his point is he would like us to shift away from equity and push agency. And he's, he's like, every time you see equity, you have to understand that it removes agency. It takes agency away from people. Well, define that. agency for us, for people yeah, who haven't heard, because so, that's, that's kind of new lingo, the word agency. Um, agency is, uh, he calls it the force of one's free will uh, guided by moral discernment. So uh, the ability for someone to make their own choices, mm -hmm. guided by uh, recognizing that there's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And um, agency is what we want children to have, not be obsessed with equity. And then he, as he was uh, putting schools together, he very quickly realized that you can't rely on just the schools to teach kids to uh, think for themselves. Actually, what's missing is a few things, and it's four that he's come up with, um, and the acronym is FREE, and the F is family, and then the R is religion, education, and entrepreneurship. But they sound kind of like, yeah, of course, but he has a twist on it that I thought was really insightful. Um, family doesn't mean the family that you're born into, the one that you're from. It's about the family that you can form. Mm -hmm. um, religion... It's not about the organized religion per se, but about having a faith commitment. And I, I have known folks, you know, who are who have gone to um, Alcoholics Anonymous, and and they will say you have like a come to Jesus moment that makes you actually quit alcohol. And so, you know, Anne is saying that in life you need to have um, something that you're in a way accountable to that's higher than yourself that gives you, uh, you know, the moral guidance to do the right thing. And then education, yes, he does mean we got to have good schools in our system. So he totally believes in school choice. But he also means you have to approach education with a, an idea that you're going to own your own learning. Sometimes you got to teach yourself. Um, and well, most of the time. <laughs> you know, most of learning <laughs> takes place right. outside of school. I think that's right. I agree with that. Um, and then on entrepreneurship, it's not that we all have to run out and start businesses, but that you have the mindset of uh, somebody who, you, in all your work, you begin to have the mindset that um, you own this, you know, you own a part of it. Um, and so, and his book is written to young people, but it's written for those of us who are adults to understand how important agency is, gives us the framework to what to highlight as we speak to young people. And um, I had about 132 registrants it uh, doesn't mean all of them got on my call. Oh, that's but great. It was, still, it was still fantastic. It is recorded. Um, and we got to Q&A, and the questions were really wonderful. You know, people just trying to say, like, I want to have the courage, uh, but it's very hard to have the courage when you're going to get canceled. Um, most of our questions were like, how do we push back? And <laughs> Ian's answer was, you just have to muster the courage. Well, you muster the courage in part, though, don't you, by keeping your eye on the long game. And, and if, you, if you realize that eventually everybody's going to come back to American values, not these um, anti-American values. As you were talking about his um, free framework here and the whole idea of having agency versus equity, 
what that it seems to me that binary that he's setting up those are the two poles of communism versus having a market-based system having a free society having oppression versus liberty these are the binaries that equity is now trying to disrupt i think and take control of by saying oh we've been wronged everything that's our, that's happened to us isn't our fault it's your fault because you're bad that's calling on people's worst instincts and ultimately destroying their futures by teaching them to look at life in an, in a way that's negative for their own outcomes uh, yes and what's so wonderful about Ian and I uh, a, a person who was on the call emailed me afterwards and this person made the remark that Ian has a very um, warm and approachable manner and he uses words that don't just seem sort of lazy like i mean you know of course we want to go to like yeah we don't want socialism or we don't like this marxist way that we're going but he in in the talk he showed us that you got you got to use different words to <laughs> like really what? penetrate through well like well like agency i mean it's funny the words that he used were kind of plain and um, obvious, simple things like advocating for family, but not meaning the family that you're born from. Um, and so, or even understanding how important religion is, but not meaning you got to go to church and read the Bible. And so um, what what Ian does is he sort of helps you to avoid the the polarization of our words where immediately they're like, oh, you're the, one of those traditional Christian rights whatever's but um you can say obvious things in a way that maybe if you don't if you use sort of more maybe plainer words um people will listen and and when we push back on equity this is this is something that has to happen everywhere you know you with your your children's teacher and you maybe with your boss who's pushing equity at work or you um, in the town community at, at the uh, you know board of selectmen meeting, if your town's having some kind of a, an equity declaration or whatever, but equity is really it is equity of outcomes that it's so important that everything be equal is sort of happening everywhere. Um, last night in Stanford at the board of ed, they talked about uh, um, grading for equity. That's that's where they're changing the grading system, um, and it's really kind of flattening it out so more people. So you grade based on up. you grade based on race and 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 uh, socioeconomic status or some. No, it's uh, it's um, it's just a it's a different kind of grading system that takes into consideration more than simply um, what the child got on the homework and the tests and quizzes, and so grading for equity. Equity, yes, it takes a broader lens, but there's well, the, but isn't the broader lens designed to make it subjective instead of objective? That's right. It is subjective for the teacher to yeah. So then the teacher can be child. pressured to use any criteria the the pressure wants them to use, can't they? Yes, it it, it chips away at meritocracy. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then the teacher has more leeway to pass students. So I hear what you're saying about Ian's emphasis. We're talking to Kimberly Fiorello, and she's talking about a talk that she hosted last night. What's Ian's last name again? Roe. R-O-E? R-O-W-E. R-O-W-E. Ian Roe. He sounds fascinating. But I think on the front lines of this debate, I can see where he wants to use new language so that he throws a wider net, net and he's embracing. So he's trying to expand his audience rather than 
push people away or contracted by drawing clear boundaries. But I think for what we do in terms of being on the front line of politics, anybody who's talking about equity and wanting that to be part of public policy is part of a conspiracy to destroy what we have. I don't know how to look at that any other way. Just like when you say we're going to put equity into grading. Okay, so you want kids to not get good educations, but to be still be able to give them good grades, and you want to especially be able to give, give good grades to key voting blocks to make sure they don't get discouraged from voting for you who run the schools. You know, I, I don't know how I avoid pointing out those, those motives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, maybe it's in a way when, you, when we start to push back and we start to ask pretty simple questions and we speak up for simple values like earned success, you're taking away this child's um, ability to actually really earn a, 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 a real grade um, you're taking away their their you know agency, let's say, or um, their ability to experience a, a real, genuine, proper mm-hmm. you know grade. Um, then you maybe they make these realizations without us having to you know point it out and put their nose in it. But <laughs> the overall, I mean, we all have different roles to play. Is yeah. another point that came out near the end because um, you know the questions were like, well, I. I you know, what What can I do? And that's, Ian said, we all have different roles. And certainly you on your radio show and speaking with the clarity that you do um, is, it may not be exactly how, you know, someone in a community will speak out um, in, in her child's classroom. But I think, you know, I, I, I try to bring these different kinds of um, thinkers and leaders, really, these are, these are people who are leading in our country and they're leading against the zeitgeist. Yeah, it's wonderful what you're doing, Kimberly. It's so important. And when you started talking about this, it occurred to me how we used to have a public square and people, you know, 200 years ago, when we think of ourselves as being kind of prehistoric, people would go and stand in a public square and listen to people give speeches because they wanted to learn. And they read newspapers and knew what was going on, who was coming to speak and things like that. And we're so, our space is so filled up with junk that we miss the opportunity. So we're out of time. Kimberly Fiorella, but tell us where people can see the video of Ian Rowe speaking to yes, your, your um, group last You can night. find me on Facebook. And it's okay, maybe some folks aren't on Facebook, but you can still watch the video without a Facebook account. It's re- at Rep Fiorello Facebook, and that's my page, and it's, it's right there. It's the, the pinned post there. And if you have to, just search Kimberly Fiorello Facebook, and she'll pop right up because she's everywhere. Kimberly, thanks so much. Thank you, Todd. Thank you. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Miss something from the Todd Feinberg Show? Listen to the podcast on WTIC.com slash podcast. It's pretty interesting about Elon Musk, world's richest man. He announced on Twitter that he voted for mayor of 
Flores, Myra, I'm not sure how to say her name, Flores, in Texas. First time I ever voted Republican, he tweeted, massive red wave in 2022. And this is very interesting, this dynamic of why he's, why, why does Elon Musk want to be the only guy in tech who isn't in bed with the anti-American crowd? What's that all about? And what motivates him? It's, I find it fascinating. <laughs> Elon Musk. So what I would say, um, you know, I'm focused on 2022, uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? <laughs> Cute little cut from the governor of Florida. Elon Musk comes from South Africa, migrated to America for freedom. It may be it's because Elon Musk respects freedom that he, well, he, he went on to say in this interview that if he were to choose now, if it were time to choose for president now, he would vote for Ron DeSantis, who we just heard. This guy. <laughs> Elon Musk. So what I would say, um, you know, I'm focused on 2022, uh, but with Elon Musk, what I would say is, you know, I welcome support from African-Americans. What can I say? <laughs> That's the governor of Florida. All right. So uh, there's, there's, uh, there's something brewing here that is very intriguing and i can see why i was wondering why democrats were putting so much hate on elon musk over recent months but now i understand they they expect to be able to control everybody and if they can't they expect to be able to, to intimidate them or cancel them into nullification basically where that where they're no longer a presence in the marketplace of ideas but Elon Musk being the world's richest man and, and owning the best green tech company, it, it's sort of a strange dynamic, isn't it? And he just might be, as an immigrant, thinking about why they came to America and why America has so much power in the world. Because it has the power of ideas and the power of liberty that drives it. That's the idealistic way of looking at it, but I'm not sure what the other angle is here. Because it strikes me that Elon Musk would be a happier, more profitable guy by going along with the game of being intimidated by the hateful left. What do you think? 860-522-9842. Now, back to the Todd Feinberg Show, live from the NJ Diet Studios on WTIC News Talk 1080. Oh, what is this Wednesday? Wednesday, so Joe Markley must be here. Hello, Joseph. How you doing? Well, I shouldn't say how you doing. Good to be with you, Todd. How about well, that? That's, that's an excellent way to start out. So uh, it's good to be with you and to have you with us. <laughs> and to all be together again, what are you um, what are you thinking of this wild energy that is in, in the air and getting more intense all the time? Now we've got the Fed finally confronting just what a disaster the Biden administration has made out of the economy. And how is that interacting with uh, people's understanding here in the state with what state dynamics are? That is the that's going to be the big question in November, as well as just how much further 
downhill are things going to go between now and then. The Fed is it remains behind the curve, and this is the terrible thing about it. They they um, they don't have it. You know, they talk about the toolbox. Mm-hmm. They don't have any tools. Um, raising the rates uh, three quarters of a percent. Um, still, the interest rates are far behind inflation. Um, that's not going to do anything to uh, bring inflation under control. They know that uh, this interest rate increase is going to start to drive the markets down and drive economic activity down. They know that they uh, they got to do something about inflation, and no matter which way they turn, uh, they're going to make a mistake. We are in deep doo-doo, as who said that, uh, the, the first President Bush. Um, we're in a very bad position. And the question in Connecticut is, uh, how much blowback do the Democrats get about that? Do people blame Ned Lamont for uh, the incompetence of Joe Biden or not? And certainly, he can only hurt. Nobody's going to wake up on Election Day and say, i got to go down there and vote Democrat to reward Joe Biden for the great job he's doing. As a matter of fact, the funny thing is, I, I think Joe, got, Joe Biden is becoming a scapegoat for the Democratic Party, that the attitude is going to be, um, blame, blame him for everything because mm-hmm. he's not running again anyhow, and uh, and we'll come up with somebody new. Yeah, the trouble with that is, and and I would think this is a vulnerability that that uh, the governor has in Connecticut because he he first of all he supported Joe Biden and rooted right. for him becoming president, and then supported the idea of having uh, the nation go into debt so that it could funnel money off to the states and all this couples with shutdown policies and handing out big chunks of money to pay people to stay home and kill the economy without feeling badly about it and then the it it's all linked so somebody has to make an argument but it's all linked together the supply chain issues and the inflation and people not wanting to go to work and all that stuff that is so disruptive to the norms that we become used to. I mean, they've really broken what was a miraculous period of, of continuous growth and, and job growth. Yeah, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Donald Trump um, in the Connecticut Republican Party even. And yet the, the contrast between where things stood when he left office and where they are today is dramatic. And it is because of failed bad democratic policies i said on this show um when this nonsense all started with the um uh, stimulus checks Mm -hmm. if this is a good thing if this doesn't bite us then i don't know anything about economics and i'm just going to shut up well unfortunately (laughs) i i know enough about economics to say that you can't hand out free money and and expect that it's not going to have a consequence and we're getting the consequence now the only the the worst thing for connecticut is part of the consequence of the free money is a mirage um, in our fiscal, our state fiscal situation. So at the moment, Lamont can go around and say, look at the great job I did because I happened to be uh, governor when uh, when six when million the check federal came. money yeah. came. Um, but whether, whether these dots can be connected by the voters, whether the candidates for office can make the connection between the dots clear enough mm-hmm. that the voters pick up on it, is going to be the question because the things are still going to this the state's fiscal position come November I think it's going to be very bad because um, tax receipts are going to go down because of the stock market going yes. down but it's not going to be bad like we got to have a special session to raise taxes it's going to be bad like um, 
uh-oh, January. But uh, on, on, on election night, they're still going to be saying how great things are. Well, they may try. And that's yeah. what wave elections are all about. Waves are the thing. So you're right that people have trouble seeing what's actually going on because the politicians are all running around lying to them. Like Ned is pretending he has been a lower of taxes instead of a hiker of taxes. He's arguing that he's made it less expensive to live here than, uh, rather than the truth, which is that he's made it more expensive. And everybody makes it more expensive in government. They're just growing it all the time. That's what they do. And for him to get away with that in most election years, that con works. But this is going to be a wave year. It's going to be interesting to see if it's, you know, where it's possible that Connecticut is the fault line of where the cheap con of, oh, everything's fine because I lowered taxes because I lowered them last week. And let's not remember what I did two years ago when I hiked them and three years and when I was going around looking for tolls and all the, all, you know, and that, that I raised taxes $1.8 million billion before I, I lowered them $600 million. You know, those things might not work this time. Well, uh, so much depends on the, on the opposition. And I get asked this all the time, can Stefanowski win, for instance? Or, or can we beat Blumenthal? And I'd say the answer to both those things is yes, it is definitely possible. But it's going to require, in, the case, in both cases, a good campaign. Aggressive. Uh, a campaign. Sharp. Uh, yeah, and it connects with voters, makes the case, doesn't get distracted. You know, I mean, uh, Stefanowski's now, the, the Democrats are going to make it, they want to make it about guns and abortion. And um, Stefanowski has to avoid taking that bait. He can't get mm -hmm. drawn into that argument. He has to call him out on it and say, why are they talking about abortion? Because they don't want to actually talk about what's going on in the state of Connecticut. They don't want to talk about what they've done to this economy and, mm -hmm. and, and what they've done to middle-class taxpayers. And how about in the Senate race? What, would, what should the nominee, whoever that ends up being, be talking you about? You know, I've always thought that Dick Blumenthal was more vulnerable than uh, people assume. And I've said to you before, I think he has a glass jaw. I think if somebody went right at him and say, what's this guy all about? Communist headquarters, Vietnam, what, what is going through his mind? I think that Dick Blumenthal is a, is a politician who is um, available for mockery. Mm -hmm. And I think that people can turn on him very quickly. The fact that he's only up 10 points in these sample ballots yes. um, is amazing to me. And it is a tremendous opportunity. I just don't know. You know, you've got three candidates. That's got to get sorted out in a primary. And um, I, I don't see any of them really catching on. And somebody's got to not only win the primary, but then come up with an awful lot of money and go hard, hard, hard at Blumenthal. You're not going to beat him by saying, I'm nicer than Blumenthal is. You've got to create a, a stark contrast and also um, put across the point that uh, there's something odd going on with Dick Blumenthal and these fantasies of his. Well, he is a weirdo, and I think that <laughs> communicates very nicely in the in the way he's he doesn't actually campaign. He just kinds of kind of chases cameras and 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 gives populist messages that make no sense. He is um, he is driven to be out there in a way that I, I've said before, I kind of admire as somebody that's been in this business, you look at it and you say, however much I might feel like I'm, I'm working my district, Dick Blumenthal is all over the state all the time. I think it's a little 
at a certain point, you'd say, Dick, why, you know, don't you ever want to stay home? Don't you have anything else to do? But be that as it may, I think, I think he could be beaten, and I hope people don't give up on it yet. Hey, you know, there's something else I want to mention, which is sure. like the weirdest story politically to my mind of this, of this cycle so far, um, which is congressional primaries, mm-hmm. uh, of which presumably we were going to have none. And, um, and then it seemed like there was very likely to be one in the first congressional district against John Larson. You had a mm-hmm. guy that raised um, $400,000, uh, Moad Retzi, uh, super progressive, young, wants to be the AOC of Connecticut, um, raises a lot of money, was a former Chris Murphy staffer, obviously puts together a real campaign, doesn't get the 15% of the delegates at the primary. So he goes out to get the signatures, and with $400,000 and all that background, he falls short, which amazed yeah, me. I, incredible. I, and 500 signatures, right? Yeah. And how, how do you not get that job done? Especially when, on the other side of this equation, this is what makes the story so strange, in the 4th Congressional District on the Republican side, Jamie Stevenson was the anointed candidate, mm-hmm. um, the former first select woman of Darianne. And a fellow down there, uh, a doctor down there, Michael Goldstein, um, Goldstein, went after the nomination. Again, he, too, fell short at the convention and went out and I don't even know how actually got the signatures and has qualified for a primary. And yeah, we I had him think, on uh, Monday, I think. He, he Interesting character. Yeah, and I don't think he's raised, I don't know if he's raised $10,000, and I don't even know what how he put that effort together. But it was amazing to me that um, that that uh, this fellow out of no, nowhere with really very little political background managed to get the signatures and qualify for a primary in the 4th District. And this you know, golden boy who's been running for a year and has $400,000 wasn't able to do it in, in the Hartford district where you, where you'd think that it would be very easy to find high concentrations of Democrats to sign a petition. Goldstein said the key was going to the dump. Yeah. I, 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 that's, I did hear that from him that, uh, I, I talked to him briefly and he said, yes, the Greenwich dump was a, was a great place to get signatures. Yes. That's pretty funny, but it, the so, dump but, always works. That's a fun one that people can look forward to. I don't know how, what whether he can make a noise in it or not, but he's uh, he's cleared a, a big hurdle. Yeah, well, hopefully he does. Uh, but I don't know if he's prepared to be what you described. You know, if you've got a candidate with a glass jaw, you've got to be able to find the trigger point that causes the glass to break. And, That's right. And, and that requires that you be aggressive and try things that might not be your personality. I think it's hard for a first-time candidate or a guy who's a professional in the, in the community like Goldstein is in the in the first, that there's it, it's hard to be somebody other than yourself. Well, I would say about that race... And we've got 10 um, seconds, so give us a yeah, quick okay. observation. He doesn't have to go after Jamie Stevenson. He has to find the conservatives and just let them know that he's their man. Yeah. All right. Joe Markley, great to talk with you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. We'll see you next week. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.